0: In my work with young people, it's not uncommon for me to have a conversation with one of them just about the pressure that they're feeling. A lot of times they put pressure on themselves, but very often there's pressure placed on them by others, maybe from their parents or maybe from their teachers, their coaches or their friends or even just the global expectation of who they think the world wants them to be. And they can put all kinds of pressures upon themselves. Pressures to be beautiful and to be handsome. Pressures to be athletic and strong. Pressures to be really smart. Pressures to become a a very successful career person with a lot of money one day. Uh, Pressures to have a lot of friends. Pressures to be funny. All of these pressures start to add up. And it starts to become a little overwhelming, especially whenever suddenly they start to realize that they're not measuring up to where they wish they would be. And then it starts to get heavier and heavier as they get more and more discouraged and they're just not sure how to move forward. Sometimes this pressure paralyzes them. Sometimes it gives them lots of anxiety and even the discouragement sometimes leads to minor depression. So what are we to do? Where is this all coming from? I know that for many parents, they want their kids to be happy. That's their greatest desire, that their kids would have a happy life. And parents make all kinds of sacrifices in order to make that a reality. And in their efforts to bring happiness to their children, sometimes parents fall into the trap of thinking that happiness equals lack of suffering. And to avoid suffering at all costs is to be the most successful person that has ever lived. And so parents would love for their kids to grow up and to certainly be kind and be nice and to love God and to do all the things. But even more important deep down for parents is that kids are successful enough to avoid suffering so that they can be happy. Of course, parents would never say that. Parents would say, yes, we want our kids to be Catholic and to love God, but it, it would be great if they would have both, wouldn't it? If they could just be successful and, and very charitable. But unfortunately, when push comes to shove, I think most of us would prefer to be successful than charitable. When push comes to shove, we would rather that our children were successful rather than charitable. At the end of the day, that's how some of us tend to make choices For our families, that's how some of us tend to lead our families and to live our lives because we believe the lie that happiness equals lack of suffering. But today in the gospel, Jesus summarized all of scripture with these two very simple commandments. It's so simple that it's almost kind of a challenge to preach on it as a priest it's I mean, like, like Brother priests we talk about like, wow, this is kind of like a hard homily because it's like, yeah, love God, love neighbor. Like, who hasn't heard that before? So what, are you, what am I supposed to say? It's so simple for us that I think a lot of us can take it for granted. But yet, deep down, a lot of us miss it. Jesus summarizes all of Scripture with these two commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, whole mind, whole soul. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I think it's, it's especially tempting for us here in southern Louisiana because we have such a great culture of Catholicism here. And, and a lot of us, especially you, I mean, I'm, I'm literally preaching to you know, the choir here and, and you guys you know, are coming to Mass. You're doing the right things. You're trying to do the right thing for your, your, your families. But it's easy for us to check all the boxes, but still have a heart full of poison. It's easy for us to let the fire dwindle into ashes with no love inside of it. It's easy for us to lose the heart of the gospel. Why are we here in the first place? For charity. If you want to simplify all of it, God is love, and he wants us to be the same. It's hard for us to accept the fact that life is not about being successful, but about charity, about being loving, about loving God and neighbor, even to the point of being unsuccessful for the sake of love. That's a hard one to swallow, but St. Paul even says, if I spoke with the most angelic tongues, and if I had all of these signs and wonders and did all these great things for the glory of God, but I have not love." I have nothing. Therefore, St. Paul says, love is patient and love is kind. It is not jealous, not pompous, etc. If you have not love, you have nothing, St. Paul says. St. Paul was incredibly talented. He was wise, very educated. He was, he was influential. He had passion and he was a great preacher and and very highly respected. But nonetheless, he understood if he had no love, it doesn't matter. He has absolutely nothing. I just wonder if we forget that sometimes. If we would rather abandon charity for the sake of success, for the sake of rising to the top in our career. For the sake of getting the 4.0 instead of the 3.9. For the sake of winning the game, losing our integrity instead of enjoying the game and maybe getting the L. For the sake of being so beautiful and so popular and so funny, we, we sometimes forget to love. And yes, it's true that we can sometimes have both. But we can't desire both for the sake of clinging to the world at all costs. We must cling to charity above everything else. But you see, that's just really hard to do. Obviously, we all fail in this. We all fall short. And it's especially hard unless we recognize that God loved us first. Charity in our heart is a response It's first a response to the good Creator God who loves us and continues to love us and hold us into existence. If we do not see charity as a response to God who loves us, then this law of charity is burdensome. It's difficult, it's impossible. It's just another thing we have to do. How in the world I got to just, I got to fit God into my schedule. And I mean, it's the 21st century. There's all these things I need to do. So how am I going to do that? And how am I supposed to love neighbor when they just like, they're just the worst. But you see, it all starts to make sense if we recognize that God loves us. And if we really own up to that, then charity becomes a response, perhaps even a natural one. I believe that the family is God's design to teach us the law of charity. It's in the family that we should be learning the law of charity, the law of loving God and neighbor. Because why? The the family is the icon of God himself. We've spoken about this before, that that God is love. God is three divine persons eternally loving each other. What does it mean to love? Love is to give your total self to another. And that's what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit does eternally to each other. God is love. And the family is the physical, material icon of that divine, perfect, eternal love. The family is the design that God has given us for us to see an example, an analogy of what love should look like on earth. The husband, the wife, the child, the children should be giving themselves to one another in love. But unfortunately, that's just not always the case, and we all know that. Think about it. In your own life, in your own family, has your family been a school of love? Think about the way you grew up. Just with great reverence here, I know that, that many of us probably come from broken families. I myself am one of them. And, and, and we want to be reverent with that, and that, that brings a lot of pain, a lot of sensitivity, and it's difficult, but at the same time, we can, we can recognize that there's still hope beyond it. What about your families now? What about parents now and the, 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 the children that you have? Are you creating an environment where you are teaching the art of love, the art of charity, the art of love of God and neighbor above everything else, even our own success? Is that the reality in which your family lives? There was a recent study uh, that was done, an uh, academic study by Comunio, that uh, discovered uh, something interesting. You know, they, they recognized that there's this drastic decline in church attendance, especially in America, over the past couple of decades. And there's been a lot of questions of, I mean, a lot of well, yeah, a lot of theories about why that may be so. Well, in this particular study, they wanted to to see what about the family? Does that have any effect on our current state of things? So what they found is that if you took a baby boomer who grew up in a continuously married family, and you took a millennial, like myself, who grew up in a continuously married family, those two individuals would have the same exact percent chance of going to church into their adulthood, which is really strikingly profound. Now, there's certainly a lot less marriages that are continuous nowadays than for the baby boomer generation, which is perhaps the theory now of why we're also seeing a decline in church attendance. But what's interesting is that this this study, like, it's not that they found, oh, um, if the parents are super devout and perfect and virtuous and amazing, then there's a high percent chance your kids will go to church. No, like you, per, you compare um, the, the baby boomer generation and the millennial generation, and simply if their parents just stay together, they have the same percent amount chance of going to church into their adulthood. Now, certainly, we all know that that is not bulletproof. I mean, some of you are here today, and I know that your children are not with you, and that brings a lot of great pain. And then also, too, some of you are currently experiencing a broken marriage, and you might say, oh, wow, I'm hopeless. My, my children, there's no hope. But of course, I'm living proof that there is hope coming from a broken family myself. God can make all things new, and this study is not perfect, and it doesn't answer all of our questions, but it does point out something really interesting, that there does seem to be a connection to continuous marriage and faith, that simply, if a family stays together, they can learn a lot about God, a lot about the law of charity, a lot about who they really are. As a family, as they enter society. So I reflect on that because the family should be the law of love, but that is really hard. It's hard enough just to simply keep the family fulfilling all their responsibilities. It's extremely difficult. I know this. I watch you juggle all kinds of things on your plates. So what can we do? I believe that this is not just a homily for married couples. I really believe it's a homily for everyone. Everyone. Because all of us have the responsibility to strengthen marriages together, no matter what your season of life might be. So if you are uh, someone that's been married for many years, if you've been married for many years, I want to challenge you to share your marriage. Share it with others. There's very few of you nowadays. We need your witness. Show us the reality of your marriage, the ups and downs. The joys and the sorrows, especially the joys, to encourage us, to show us that it's possible. Share your wisdom, your insight, your encouragement, especially with young couples, because they need to see your witness. Younger couples, maybe you've you've only been married for a little bit of a while. I invite you to let others in. It's not just about your marriage. It's not just about each other. We need to build community with other married couples especially. Y'all need to support each other because marriage will get hard if it hasn't gotten hard yet. To share your lives together and even to let single people in and divorced people in, like let other people into your marriage and create a community because you will find one day if you're open to life and you have children, it's going to take a village and you can't do it alone. Maybe you find yourself divorced. Maybe you're feeling discouraged already by this homily. There's hope for you too. You have a special role to play here. First of all, there's healing that needs to happen. And that healing takes place in the community of others. Yes, other marriages that are still together, but also others who have had broken marriages to support each other. They understand what you've been through. But support others... To, to share your mistakes so that others can learn from them and maybe avoid some of the pitfalls that you made. Teach young people to be on the lookout for the mistake that you made when you were young. You have a really crucial role to play if you are divorced. Maybe you're widowed or maybe you've never been married at all. Maybe you're still a young person uh, or, or maybe even later in life, but you're still, uh, you've just never been married. Again, your role is to support the other marriages around you. It takes a village and all the other marriages and families need that community. It's so easy. It's so easy to get isolated in your own marriage and then to get frustrated with how overwhelming and stressful it is. And for many, that starts to lead to uh, the marriage falling apart. But what if we had the community... All of us, regardless of our state in life, supporting the marriages and families that we have, encouraging young people that marriage is possible because more and more young people would rather just not. Marriage is the fundamental building block of society. It's the image, the icon of God who is love. It should be the school of love. And if you did not learn that in your own family, I'm sorry. But it's not too late to be a beacon for change. It's not too late for all of us to work together to learn the art of charity, to discover the good God who loves us first, so that we can respond in love to him and to others. So I invite you for the rest of this Mass just to pray about your own relationship to families and how you can play an important role in strengthening marriage and family in our society today. Amen.